Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind Comments by Celebs. And welcome back to another episode. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Emmy. Happy Valentine's Day. You too, kiddo. Thank you. (laughs) I also just want to let everyone know, if you listened to last Monday or Wednesday's episode, I know we were having some real audio issues specifically with my mic, but everything has been fixed now. So thank you for your patience. And I know I can speak for both of us in saying we are very relieved that is no longer the case. Thank God, honestly. Yeah. I also want to mention that last night we had finished recording everything. We sent it to our producer. And right after we finished, um, Courtney Kardashian and Travis Barker both posted stories. So we kind of spoke about their relationship in the Kardashian recap, but we wanted to just quickly mention this. So he posted a photo of what I guess is presumably her ankle with a diamond anklet on it. And she posted a photo that said, roses are red, violets are blue, garlic bread, blink 182. They also both posted a photo of the same fireplace. So not that we were really doubting it. I mean, you'll hear us talk about it later, but this was really the most solid confirmation that we could have received. It's just one of those things where I I have to know how it went from a platonic friendship to where they're at now. That's the piece of information that I care about the most. Yes, me too. And I also wonder, was it the type of thing, and again, this is me totally just hypothesizing, was it the type of thing where he always was kind of into her, but he never really pursued it kind of for the respect of their friendship, but everyone was aware of it. And then at a certain point, it was just reciprocated by her. So it was kind of fair game. Like, I am very curious as to how that went down because they've been in each other's lives for a very long time. Right. I think we're all kind of making up a story in our head about how this went down because you have to. It's just, it's one of those circumstances that you're familiar with as like a movie plot line. So then you're like, how did this play out in real life? Yeah. I I personally, I mean, speaking for myself, I've made up a million different scenarios of him kind of confessing his love for her and her saying she's been feeling the same way, but didn't want to make things weird. Like I have no idea if any of this is rooted in reality. I'm just very curious because most of the time with the Kardashians, when they're dating someone new, it's somebody that we were completely unaware as to their previous like friendship or relationship with. Even Kylie Travis, Kendall, Devin Booker, with the exception of Kim and Kanye, where we had known that they had been friends, we'd seen them on the show years before. There hasn't really been a situation like this, at least recently, where the person has been a family friend. Right. It's very interesting. I have to know. I have to hear it from her or him. I just have to know that piece of the puzzle. Hopefully one day. Hopefully. So we just wanted to uh, include that little caveat because when we talk about it later on, we didn't have that piece of information. So as you guys know, every week we're highlighting a Black-owned business. And honestly, this one, some of you may be familiar with because I feel like I'm kind of late to the game on this, but it's called Black-owned Everything. It was founded by stylist Serena Akers. She's Beyonce stylist and Chloe and Halle stylist. And this kind of started as an Instagram page and it's now turned into an e-commerce marketplace. And it's basically kind of a curated website of 
clothing, beauty accessories, home goods, etc. from Black-owned businesses. It's very cool. It has a very kind of unique vibe. You'll see what I mean when you go to the website. The website is Black-owned everything and the Instagram handle is at Black-owned everything. And as always, we'll put that in the description. Okay, Julie, you ready? Very ready. Okay, let's just start out with the absolute shit show that was Chris Harrison's interview, shall we? Yeah, we shall. I also just want to say, I recognize that probably in the entirety of this podcast, we've never really spoken about anything having to do with Bachelor just because Julie and I don't watch. I recognize we're not the most well-versed on the franchise. It's just not something that we enjoy. But this was the type of situation where I really do feel that it goes far and beyond just the franchise. And it's a conversation I think we should have. And also, to be honest with you, I want to have because there's just so much to kind of unpack. Right. Yeah, definitely. So I first just want to say, clearly we're going to be talking about Chris Harrison's extra interview with Rachel Lindsay. And I'm sure a lot of you saw you know, a four-minute clip, a six-minute clip circulating. I would really highly recommend going and watching the entire 14 minutes because unless you watch that entire thing, I do think it's hard to fully understand the magnitude of a fuck-up that this was. And it's kind of the most eloquent way I know how to put it. I think that was perfectly said. (laughs) I also understand that most people are very familiar with the situation because it happened last week. So we're not going to really do a full recap. It's going to be much more discussion-based, but just to spend one minute kind of doing a timeline of events. Basically, Rachel Kirkconnell, who is a current contestant on Matt James' season of The Bachelor, some things surfaced from her past, mainly her attending an antebellum plantation-themed fraternity party and also some social media action that kind of was alleging racist behavior. And Rachel Lindsay had Chris Harrison on her extra show to kind of talk about this. And again, like I said, what transpired over these 14 minutes was just absolutely terrible to watch, which we will really get into. And after that, Chris had posted one apology. I'm not going to read that. I'm sure most of you saw it. And a little bit later on, amid kind of the backlash, she posted another apology, which I'm not going to read everything. There was nothing really profound about it, but probably the line that was the most discussed was when he said, to that end, I've consulted with Warner Brothers and ABC and will be stepping aside for a period of time and will not join for the After the Final Rose special. After that, Matt James posted on his Instagram story and wrote about Rachel Lindsay, quote, I'm beyond grateful to have Rachel as a mentor during the season. Your advocacy of BIPOC people in the franchise is invaluable. I stand with you and the rest of the women advocating for change and accountability. So we really are going to get into a full discussion about this because you and I haven't even spoken about it at all yet. But I first just want to say, if you were watching this and you had no idea as to the content, which of course we'll talk about the content, I think you would still be incredibly turned off because solely based on the flow of the conversation and the fact that he would not let her get a word in and his interrupting was nothing short of infuriating. Oh yeah. It was, it was so frustrating to watch because he just couldn't keep his mouth shut. It was like, you couldn't understand how somebody could be, have such a disregard for the other person during an interview, especially the other person who is a black woman trying to educate you and trying to explain to you what is wrong in the situation. And you just can't hear her out. Yeah, it it was, it was shocking. It really was. And I know obviously it's, you know, listen, the bachelor has not had a history of being the most racially sensitive. Nobody is pretending that they have been at all. And I think this situation really brought that to the light because it's opening the room up for a lot of other conversations. But I'm talking just solely from like a human interaction perspective. It was very off the way that he was interacting. Like I said, even if you take aside the content, and which once you add that in, it just makes it so much worse because Rachel Lindsay was the only one between the two of them that could actually speak about this from an informed place, could actually speak about it from having lived those experiences. And he was still completely unwilling to hear her, even though he was masking the entire thing by saying he wanted to hear her. Right. And he kept doing this thing where every single time he would make a point, he would be like, I don't know. Is it wrong? And she would be like, yes, it is wrong. And he would be like, I don't know. And it was like, she is literally telling you, how are you going to continue on this path of, I don't know if it is. The other thing is that, you know, what happened with Rachel Carconnell, I recognize by the way, there are two Rachels here. So when I'm talking about Chris Harrison, I'm talking about Rachel Lindsay, but Rachel Carconnell, these photos that surfaced were from 2018. And you should have heard the way that Chris Harrison was talking about this. He was acting as if 2018 was 40 years ago. And it was very appalling. And you watched Rachel Lindsay, who, by the way, handled herself in a way that I, I definitely don't think that I would have been able to or really most other people would have, would have been able to because she was able to kind of 
hear what he was saying and almost not react, which actually was such a blessing because it only showed his ignorance even more. She kind of gave him a platform to just kind of show how ignorant he was. But you saw on her face the shock and the confusion because he was really trying to communicate and trying to get everyone on board with the fact that 2018 was so long ago as if it wasn't just shy of three years ago. Right. That was so confusing to me. And he said it with such conviction, like he believed it himself. He was so sure of his words. That's the other thing. You know, what he was saying in this interview was he kept kind of repeating this point that he feels like everybody needs to give Rachel Carcano a little bit of grace and a little bit of patience. And that statement in a box, the idea that people should be gifted with grace and patience and compassion in itself, if you remove what they're talking about, is true. I think that that's a general you know, thing that makes sense. But he was putting that above the level of accountability. You know, There was no sort of desire to acknowledge what was actually being talked about here. And his entire thing was, to go on this interview and say that he was not defending Rachel Carcano, meanwhile, defending her vehemently the entire time. Right. And it's just so shocking to me that somebody has been who has been the host of The Bachelor for however many years that he has been. I mean, he is completely synonymous with The Bachelor franchise. He is the face of it. You would think that this is somebody who would have had much better media training than he clearly did. I mean, this is a situation where If anybody had a clue about how to handle these things, this would have gone so much differently. But it's clear that nobody within the Bachelor franchise knows how to handle these situations because they have been so on the wrong side of it in the past. And this is the first time that it's come to light via a real interview where somebody kind of just shot themselves in the foot by how uninformed they are. But I do think that this is a reflection of the entire Bachelor franchise. I think we've seen it time and time again. Well, it's so interesting you say that because in his interview with Rachel, you know, they were kind of having this debate and they both agreed that The Bachelor as a franchise shouldn't make a statement before Rachel Kirkconnell does. But what's so kind of interesting or confusing to me is when you think of The Bachelor, you think of Chris Harrison. He is absolutely synonymous with the franchise. He is the face of the franchise, basically. So to me, I don't think there's that big of a difference between The Bachelor making a statement and Chris Harrison making a statement. I recognize that technically there is, but I'm saying like, to me, his ignorance that was on display is completely indicative of the ignorance of the franchise in general. And by the way, I think that any response that comes out of Chris Harrison's mouth is going to be a much stronger response and taken more seriously or more importantly than a pre-written ABC statement that comes on as like a one sentence response. People are looking to Chris Harrison. When things happen on The Bachelor, the first person you want to hear from is Chris Harrison. Oh, completely. Especially because, you know, in just talking about drama that's gone on, and clearly this is not drama, but I'm saying, you know, when it comes to what's going to happen with Claire's season or, or things that are far more superficial, he has kind of been seen almost as like the voice of reason and the voice of common. Once Chris Harrison comes on the screen or once he makes a statement, everything is okay. So clearly not that he was the person that people were looking to in this. Nobody's looking to a white man to explain what was going on here, but people do look to him to hold the franchise you know, on some level to to speak for them in a way that maybe breeds some sort of comfort. And what, we, what he did was so harshly the opposite of that, that I just think, you know, his, his lack of understanding of the basic dynamics here was really kind of appalling. Yeah, it was. It was really, really one of the crazier things I've seen only because it could have been so easily avoided. Yeah. And I also want to say Rachel Lindsay was on her higher learning podcast that's co-hosted with Van Lathan. I think it's really a good listen. I'm going to put the link to that in our description, but I just want to read one quote because what she said, I thought spoke so perfectly to kind of something we had been thinking about when she said, quote, when I finished that interview with Chris Harrison, he had no problems with it. He was fine. He texted me after he appreciated the conversation. He was like, yeah, I'll probably get a little flack, but he thought it was great and that we could disagree, but do it in a civil way. It wasn't until the backlash came the next day. It wasn't until people started talking, people started demanding and calling for different things. And he then apologized to me and he then apologized publicly. I'm trying to reason, well, which one is it? Because to me, Tuesday was your truth and Wednesday is after the fact. Wednesday was a response to the backlash. During that whole conversation, he had the audacity to question me. During that conversation, he talked over me and at me. During that conversation, his privilege was on display. He never gave me room to talk and he never gave me room to share my perspective. He wasn't trying to hear it. He was just trying to be heard. And I'm not saying he can't be apologetic. 
I'm not saying that he can't learn and be better from it. Like he said in his statement, but you'll have to give me some space and you'll have to give me some compassion and some grace to take the time to really reason and accept that because that was a lot. And the reason that I wanted to read that was because at the end, when she's talking about, you know, I'm not saying he can't apologize for it, but he's going to have to reciprocate that same grace to me that he was preaching on. I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was poignant. I thought that was such a genius way to put it because it was really kind of putting it in his words and using the power of his words almost against him in such a tactful way. Yeah, totally. I couldn't agree more. Right. Like his, the thing that he's preaching the most is this idea of grace and compassion. And so she's saying, okay, you know what? You're right about that. So now I'm going to need you to give that to me because you have deeply offended me. Right. Exactly. And it was perfectly flipped on him and hopefully put in a way that he can really understand that because there's a difference between understanding it because everyone's mad at you and understanding it because somebody put it into terms that finally resonates with you. Right. Exactly. And I mean, I, I, I have no idea how, what work he's going to do and how that's going to actually resonate. I also, honestly, just from like a professional standpoint, I don't know what's going to happen with the franchise. I don't know if this means, you know, he's kind of going to take this opportunity to step away permanently. And also to be honest with you, I don't think I could say with conviction that him saying that, you know, in consultation with Warner Brothers and ABC, he's decided to briefly step away. I don't know if that was his decision or if it was them them saying to him, listen, you're going to have to do this, but we're going to give you kind of the option to paint it as if it was your decision. Right. I believe that's probably what happened too. Yeah. I have, I have a lot of unanswered questions. Um, and also, you know, what I couldn't help think about is clearly we were appalled just watching it, but we are not black. We do not firsthand have an understanding of how painful his words were. Of course, we could be upset by them and appalled by them. But what I kept continually thinking about for Rachel Lindsay and for other people of color that were watching this, you know, it's, I would imagine to be doubly painful because not only is the actual action you're talking about hurtful, but on top of that, you're not even given the kind of compassion to be able to explain why it was so hurtful. That's like a really other level of pain and nobody should have to endure that. Also, it was her platform. She had invited him on to speak. That's the other huge piece of the puzzle. It wasn't like, it still would have been wrong had it been his show and she had come on as a guest and she was trying to explain her point. That would have been terrible still, nonetheless, and everything he did still would have been wrong. But he was on her platform. Right. That's the thing that was so crazy to me is like, you are coming on to speak about this. And again, it's not that it's her job to educate. However, between the two of them, she is the one that's going to speak from the you know, point of education, the point of personal experience. So there's a lot of power that can come in just listening. And he went in with one agenda and that was to not listen, to get his point across. But his point was not even communicated in even an ounce of a coherent manner. And it was such a bad car crash that you couldn't turn away. And I'm very curious to see what happens because this was just simply not it. Yeah, not it at all. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Okay, next thing we wanted to talk about, which I know there's not so much to report on because it just came out, but 
Megan and Harry announced today that Megan is pregnant with baby number two. I'm so excited for them. I know. And it's crazy because this announcement came kind of 37 years, almost to the day after Princess Diana announced that she was pregnant with Harry because she had announced that on February 13th, 1984. So I would have to imagine that announcing it at this time had some sort of you know personal sentimental value. I'm sure it was very intentional in terms of exact announcement date. I mean, most things, if not everything Harry does is with his mother in mind. So I'm not surprised by that at all. Also because she made that announcement on the 13th, but obviously times were totally different. So the newspapers, et cetera, didn't start circulating it until the 14th. So I would imagine that have to have been purposeful. And I know there's really not much more we can say, but I'm just so happy for them. I'm so, so happy for them. Okay. How are you feeling about a Britney update? I'm feeling good about it. Well, we got kind of good news, I think, this week. I think. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was good news. Yeah. Also, I just want to say last Monday, I know the audio wasn't great, but we did that entire kind of recap analysis on the Framing Britney documentary. And again, I don't mean to put pressure on anyone, but if you're listening to this and you still haven't watched the Framing Britney documentary and you meant to, just a gentle reminder because it really, really was excellent. And I feel like everybody that I come in contact with, my first question is like, have you watched it yet? Yeah, me too. I have not stopped speaking about it literally all week. I was actually saying to Isabel in the Bravo episode because we were talking about how at the reunion, Jen Shaw, Salt Lake City, whatever, was asked about her plastic surgery. And Isabel was saying like, is it just me? She's like, I, I care so much. Obviously, I'm so interested in the plastic surgery, but also like there's a part of me that feels like this is really intrusive at this point. And I said to her, I was like, I agree, but I also feel like we're hypersensitive to the media's misogyny towards women based on the Britney documentary. Like, Not that I didn't think we had that lens already, but I feel like watching that really kind of intensified it. Definitely intensified. I think it also called attention to something we knew was a problem, but didn't realize uh, the extent of it. So basically what happened was there was a conservatorship hearing last week and the judge ruled against Britney's father. So basically, Britney's legal team had wanted a third party, which is the Bessemer Trust, to have equal power as her father in managing her finances, etc. And Jamie had initially objected to that. You know, He claimed that it lessened his control over the estate, but Britney's legal team won and you know, he now is sharing power. And it's interesting because when we had spoken about this previously, I think, you know, people were hoping for this, but we didn't really know where it was going to land. Yeah. I mean, these are kind of the small logistics which within the conservatorship that people are looking at, but still a little bit confused by. I think that, you know, the ultimate victory or what everyone's kind of hoping for is either her dad having no place in the conservatorship or the conservatorship not being there altogether. But there are kind of small, tiny victories within that that people are looking at. And I think this is one of them. Yeah. And her lawyer, Sam Ingram, said, you know, we obviously recognize, or I'll read his exact quote. He said, quote, it's no secret that my client does not want her father as her conservator, but we recognize that removal is a separate issue. So like you said, I think it's all kind of mini wins. And I think that that's not only with the public interpreted ads, but that's also how her legal team kind of received this. Right, exactly. And following the uh, release of the documentary, I think that the public opinion and the public outcry is going to continue to increase. I mean, I think that the Free Britney movement was pretty well known. I mean, especially amongst kind of the people that we know and, and in this circle, but it definitely wasn't as widespread as kind of you and I thought it was, I think, just based on our little bubble of it. So now you're kind of bringing in a whole other group of people and a whole larger group of people that are going to be fighting for Britney. Oh, absolutely. I also just want to say, because we obviously didn't talk about this because it happened after our podcast, but that was major, major news when her boyfriend, Sam, posted an Insta story basically saying, you know, I'll read and I quote, now it's important for people to understand that I have zero respect for someone trying to control our relationship and constantly throwing obstacles our way. In my opinion, Jamie, meaning her dad, is a total dick. I won't be going into details because I've always respected our privacy, but at the same time, I didn't come to this country to not be able to express my opinion and freedom. And he later spoke to TMZ and basically echoed that saying, yeah, I said what I said, he's a dick. When that story got sent to us the first time, I remember screenshotting it and sending it in our group chat and being like, is this as big of a deal as I think it is? Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I think everyone was like, wow. Well, because we always kind of were unsure exactly where he stood. We knew that after the documentary, he had posted a story uh, thanking people for their support. But 
that story was a totally different level up kind of. I actually think also the story that he had posted following the documentary was kind of deleted pretty quickly, right? Well, yes, it was up for not long at all, which made me feel like, okay, that's the only thing he's going to say on it, which then makes me feel like there was some other consultation that must have gone on to decide, you know what? Fuck it. I'm posting this. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Just very interesting. Uh, So obviously we will keep you guys as up to date on that as possible. And I guess this is a seamless transition into the Justin Timberlake apology. (laughs) Very seamless. You like that? (laughs) See what you did there? (laughs) I mean, listen, I'm not going to read his entire apology. I'm sure you all saw it. There were two note slides, very similar to the type of thing that he did uh, after the Jessica Biel cheating rumors were circulating. But as far as apologies go, yeah, it was it was pretty well done. His publicist did a, a beautiful job. Um, I just don't really know what else to say about this. Can you believe that Justin Timberlake has posted not one, but two apologies and left the comment section on for them? Julie, the only reason that I was not shocked that he did for this one was because if between the two, I would have been more shocked if he left it on for the Jessica Biel cheating thing. So since that one was on, I figured this one, there's no way he's going to turn it off for this one. I mean, do you think he knows that he can do that? Because there's no way he wouldn't take advantage of that if he knew. I don't know. I don't think that he's that involved in his own social probably. I actually think that this one is the crazier one to not shut off your comments for. You do? Way more people with public opinions and and a lot of things to say in years of built up public opinions versus... Um, a marriage situation that a, a group of people are going to have strong feelings about versus a large, large group of people with feelings that have been built up over many, many years. Right. And I agree with you, but just to like flip the switch for a second, I could see his reasoning. If, if hypothetically he was choosing to turn off the comments on one, I could see his reasoning for turning them off on the cheating one because that was like so directly impacting his family. Whereas in this one, if people are going to say things about him, it's going to be directly about him. Whereas that one, you could see it was family would get dragged in. So like I could understand that logic, but yeah, I mean, he's just, he's just raw dogging it. <laughs> raw dogging it the new definition of raw dogging that is hilarious em. you watch that documentary and it is very easy to have a bad taste in your mouth about justin timberlake but it's nothing new that's the thing like all of this stuff is only coming to the light now he's only feeling pressure to kind of apologize for it because he's under a magnifying glass and it's being spoken about the britney documentary is now the catalyst for him apologizing to janet like that's kind of crazy to me Right, because now everyone's calling attention to the behaviors over the year. And although I have to say, like, the talk about Justin Timberlake and the need to apologize and and the way he's built his career off bringing women down has definitely always been a topic of conversation. It is, I mean, obviously not to the extent that it is now, but that is a conversation that circulates every couple of months, not even years, couple of months. Right. And I'm saying clearly there was something about this that he felt like, you know what, I can't ride this one out any longer. I may as well just bite the bullet. Oh, yeah. Because this is an overwhelming amount of people versus like a small discussion on Twitter that happens every three or four months. I don't know how Janet or Brittany feel, but I hope that they feel, even though it's far too late, a certain level of maybe vindication um, for him having to finally speak out on it publicly. I don't know. I can only imagine. I don't think that the apology necessarily does anything for them, but I think that the the world seemingly having their back, I hope they feel or find some comfort in that. Let me ask you a question. What do you think is, I don't want to sound so dramatic and say the future of Justin Timberlake, but a less dramatic version of the future of Justin Timberlake? Um, I don't know. Like, let me specify my question. You think anything changes? Honest. Not necessarily, but I think that people approach Justin Timberlake with a different air to him. I think maybe we don't idolize Justin Timberlake, but no, I don't think that his music sales drop or his ability to tour drops. I don't think this is a situation where Justin Timberlake gets canceled, quote unquote. I think Justin Timberlake gets held accountable and has to answer a lot of questions about the way his actions have affected women and affected people throughout the years. I don't know what that means for his fans. I don't know what that means for people streaming his music and whatnot. But I think that in a situation where you're holding somebody accountable, the, like, I'm trying to think of how to word this. Like, 
the most that you're probably going to get in a situation like this is an apology. I don't know what more than that you can expect or, or ask for, if that makes sense. Not yeah. that he should be held accountable in different ways. I don't mean that at all. I just mean I don't know in terms of the court of public opinion or in terms of his fans and the way they feel about him, what more is going to really come. Right. Because the thing is, if you are a diehard fan of his, you knew about this. It's not like it w- it's news. That's the thing. That's that's kind of why I'm asking. It's not like this just came out, this terrible thing just came out. It's only being brought to the surface in a way that is now, I guess, so much pressure on him to the point where he has to apologize. But if it didn't bother you when you knew about it before, I don't think it's going to bother you now if you're somebody who's a diehard fan of him. I'm not speaking for myself. I'm just kind of speculating. Right. I think also when you're kind of faced with not one but two specific examples it kind of heightens things when you can no longer look at the Britney breakup and the Janet Jackson incident as separate instances, but you have to put them together, which is similarly to what we were saying about the Britney documentary. Like a lot of people have been asking why it, you know, hit so much harder for people or why people are paying so much more attention now when, when everyone's known about this stuff with Britney. And it's because it was never presented in a way where everything had an effect on each other. Everything was a domino effect where you could look back and be like, this caused this, caused this, caused this. And I think it's the same with Justin Timberlake. I think when you can look at his career and say, you know, his treatment of women caused this and his treatment of women caused this, this, and this, it's a lot easier to hold somebody accountable for that. And it's a lot easier to have that call to your attention. Yeah, no, I think so too. I think so too. So Obviously, we will keep you guys posted if anything else transpires with that, but a whole lot of notes apologies for, for one week, I'll tell you that much. It wouldn't be a week without notes apologies, I'll tell you that much too. That's the truth. Let's talk about baby making for a second because it's really not as simple as it's made out to be, meaning there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant. And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources, which is why I want to introduce you to Frida Fertility. Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. They're kind of revolutionizing the conception aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern, effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find Free to Fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you. Okay, I know everybody's obviously aware of this by now, but I just wanted to mention it. So Taylor Swift was on Good Morning America last Thursday, and she announced that the re-recorded version of Love Story would be released that night at midnight, which we had kind of heard like a snippet of it in the Ryan Reynolds match commercial, which I remember at the time was really exciting. That was a few months ago. And then in an Instagram post, she kind of revealed via Easter eggs with capitalizations that the entire re-recorded version of Fearless would be released on April 9th, which like... Let me tell you something. I I really do genuinely love her most recent album. However, there is nothing that gets me going like Love Story. And I am not ashamed to admit it. I was blasting that shit when it came out because I I just love this song. Like it is a fucking classic. How can you not enjoy that? No, it's a fucking classic. You know how certain songs just really bring you back and you just remember so vividly what you were doing when you heard it for the first time? Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely one of those. I mean, it was a long time ago that that song first came out. It's been, what, 13 years? Yeah, which the thing is, like, it's, of course, it's the same, you know, lyrics, but there's a totally kind of different feel to it. Her voice is different. Obviously, it has to be. Everybody's voice changes over time. You know, I would imagine if other artists were to do this, clearly she's doing it for different reasons. Um, But I would imagine other artists doing this, they would have a totally different kind of twist on their original songs as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, imagine if Justin Bieber re-recorded all of his old songs. So anyway, I know everybody knows about this. It's not really news anymore, but I just wanted to mention it. Fifty high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades 
Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Okay, last story before the Kardashian recap. This was so random, but Vanessa Hutchins announced her relationship on Instagram today. She's dating Cole Tucker, who's a baseball player for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And she posted a photo of them kissing with the caption, it's you, it's me, it's us. What's interesting here is they were first linked in November when they were spotted in LA, kind of just like holding hands and hugging. And it hasn't been confirmed. This is, I promise you, like, I don't know this at all. There's no tips. I have no idea if this is a ridiculous guess. I just want to make a hypothesis here because she posted it and Joe commented, Joe Jonas commented, Sophie commented, and she responded to Joe's comment and said something like, thank God for Zen Group or something, like shout out Zen Group, which makes me think that maybe she met Cole through something that, you know, Joe Jonas and Sophie are a part of. Like maybe they're all in some sort of group something together. It just made sense based on the fact that like they seemed also so excited for this coupling. Yeah, that was a really interesting catch on your part. (laughs) I was just so curious. Like I always say this to you about Vanessa Hutchins. I don't know why. Like the thing at the beginning of quarantine, not that she should be canceled or anything, it really did kind of turn me off. For some reason though, I am so interested in what she does. Yeah, I can't explain it either, but I am too. I know exactly what you mean. And I know a lot of other people that feel that way too. I think it's because I don't want to go as far as to say she was the original cool girl to us because she wasn't. But, you know, when you're watching High School Musical, you you kind of like put her on a pedestal, I think. I, she was one of the original cool girls to me, definitely. Also, because at the time, I remember, of course, watching High School Musical and falling in love with Zac Efron and then finding out that she's dating him in real life. You think that, oh my God, I mean, she has the dream situation. When they were dating in real life, no, it was like all of your dreams came true. I really, Julie, there's a few times of growing up pop culture wise that I wish I could go back to. That's one of those. I would genuinely love to go back to the first time I saw High School Musical. Yes. But the thing is, I'm remembering it as we're talking about it. It was simultaneously exciting and also heartbreaking because, you know, at the time you really thought that you had a chance with Zach Efron. It's kind of like the joke that people make about shaving before you went to a Jonas Brothers concert. It's the same energy. Yeah, it's exactly the same. Right? Yeah, it, it really was. It was heartbreaking, but it was one of those things where like, oh, if it can't be me, I'm happy it's her. And it's so funny because now as I've gotten older, like, I've just lost it for Zach Efron. Uh, I don't know. I'm just not at all attracted to him. But now I'm looking at Bart Johnson, a coach Bolton, and I'm like, I'm so sorry that I was sleeping on you yet at the time when I was watching it. That would have been fucking weird. Yeah. It's only, it, it's when you rewatch it that you're like, oh God, his dad's hotter. It, at the time, you couldn't think that way. It's so true though. It's, yeah. I hope that, I hope this resonates with other people. It must, right? That must have been a, like a universal experience. I have to imagine. Yes. Also, you know, she was dating him uh, just timeline wise, 2005 to 2010, and then she dated Austin Butler from 2011 to 2020. And really, I mean, I think everybody pretty much thought that they were in it for the long haul. That was a very shocking breakup when her and Austin Butler broke up. I cannot believe still that they broke up. You were shook by that, more shook than I would have anticipated you to be. I don't think I was shook because I necessarily cared so much about them. I just can't imagine devoting nine years of my life to something and then letting it go. I know. Like at that point, I would just be like, "I'm not starting over. We're we're in this." Yeah, that's that's such a you thing. It was you're right. I've, I've put up with you for nine years. You can't be that bad. We're getting married and having kids. There's no way I'm starting over. Like that would be me. Now that I'm thinking about your shock in hindsight, it was absolutely a projection. You are spot on. Yeah. <laughs> Julie just wouldn't want to have to admit to the public or like to anybody that knew her that she was wrong about this guy. It wasn't like a Miley, it's been 10 years, but it's been on and off thing. It was like nine straight years together. That's why I'm so happy for her because the breakup, it was in January of 2020. So it's basically a year ago, which I know seems like a long time. And I guess it's been quarantine. So time almost was quantified in a little bit of a different way, but it's not that long considering the heartbreak that I'm sure she endured. So I'm just so happy for her. 
Yeah. Time moved quicker in quarantine. Do you think? Well, if we're going like scientifically, it did. Yeah. When you have the same thing that you're doing repetitively repetitively every single day, time moves quicker as opposed to like if you're completely out of your routine. For example, like when you're on vacation, days feel significantly longer. I just can't believe it. March 11th is where you're literally a month away from the day that the world shut down or at least the day that the country shut down. I cannot believe how long it's been. Yeah. We won't get into that. I know you guys come here for a Corona escape, so we'll not get into that. But I always like – sometimes I'll just be sitting and I'll have like a moment where it just hits me like, holy shit, this has been happening for so long, you know? I have that too. Okay. Moving on to the awards, which we're kind of changing the way we do this just because I feel like as this has grown, it just feels weird to do like funniest comment and best clapback of the week. I'm happy we've moved on to this way. Yeah. We're just – we kind of just acknowledge if there's a comment that we wanted to mention in this week – uh, Gwyneth had commented hashtag free Britney on our overheard celebs post about a story that someone had submitted about Britney, which like we were so excited about that. It, did you know, Julie, that when Isabel and I were recording the Bravo episode, we got the comment in? I realized after the fact, but I didn't realize when we were doing it that you were recording. We were literally recording and I said to Isabel after, I was like, just keep some of it in because you could hear the, the palpable excitement in my voice. Yeah, I was really excited when that one happened. But anyway, we just wanted to mention that because I think a lot of celebrities are definitely in this movement, but I really appreciate the ones that are coming forward and saying it. Like, and a lot of them have Andy Cohen, Sarah Jessica Barker. There's a there's a bunch that have. Yeah, definitely, which is so great to see. Yeah. Okay, Kardashian recap. Uh, I want to just start out with the Travis Barker Courtney date night. Can we? Yeah, of course. I mean, I guess it's official, guys. It's looking that way. I don't think that Kourtney Kardashian and Travis Barker are going to dinner and holding hands for a paparazzi shot. I know so much of the shit that they do is stage. This, considering their history, I don't think is one of them. No, and considering having kids involved, it's I don't think it's one of them either. Yeah. I mean, we had said, I guess it was last week, that we kind of saw that it was happening. I don't remember if it was on the regular episode of the Kardashian one, but I, I don't know. Like, There's a part of me that's very into this, and I think I'm the most into it of anyone that she's dated. And then there's the other part of me that's like, okay, well, is this a distraction or is this something that she could consider as a long-term situation? I think that it could be considered as a long-term situation only because of the history that they have. Like it's one of those things where, and I think I said this last week, where if you're dating somebody you've been friends with for this many years, you're kind of starting at a hundred. You're not doing the whole like awkward couple of first dates things. Like you know each other well, you're jumping right in it, um, which could be why Scott dyed his hair blonde. But- Oh God. It's, I think this is definitely um, the most, I would have to assume it would be the most serious relationship she's been in since Scott. I mean, obviously not timeline wise, but I just think with intention, it might be the most serious. Well, it's interesting because I want to say, I know not everybody that listens to this podcast listens to our Kardashian bonus shows, but we're recapping now Courtney and Chloe Take Miami. And on our most recent episode, it was like, you know, Chloe really was getting frustrated by Courtney not being over Scott, whatever. And she was setting her up on these dates. And you see Courtney say repeatedly, like, she hates the idea of dating. She's like, I just think a first date is a terrible situation. She hates that entire small talk, getting to know each other's situation. So yeah, that was, you know, 11 years ago or whatever it was. But I would imagine that kind of ideology when it comes to dating still holds. So it makes even more sense having that knowledge from the episode we just watched of like why she would be more inclined or more excited about a Travis situation because that comfort level is already so ingrained. Yeah, that's such a great point. I also just want to mention at the end of that episode, we uh, did like an update to the Northwest painting situation. So you can listen to that for that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Can we just talk about Scott and Amelia? Yeah, if we have to. Okay. Well, let's start out slow with the blonde hair, which, listen, you know what? If it's making him happy, go for it. Do your thing. I wouldn't, if this is a woman, I probably wouldn't go in on her. So I'm not going to go in on him. I will just say it feels a little bit indicative of some sort of uh, a midlife crisis he may be having. Personally, if you're asking my opinion, I'm not at all a fan. I think it's very, very not it, but there's clearly something about it that it's doing it for him. Um. I'm just going to refrain from commenting on it altogether because it upsets me. <laughs> Julie was really – actually, all three of us were really, really blown away when it when uh, we first saw those photos. It just – why? 
never mind. I don't, all of it is why. Everything we're going to talk about in this one Scott and Amelia section is just the only question I have is why. The only response I have is why. I know. To be totally blunt, we can't get behind this couple. And like, I'm not even really trying to because it's it's nothing to do with them individually. I've seen Amelia on Beverly Hills. I like her. I think she's great. I think she comes from great parents, which is obviously beautiful. It's not about that. It's just like, what the fuck is going on here? She's 19. You're like 37, clearly in the middle of a midlife crisis. And like, how is this beneficial for either parties involved? I think it's also hard to like pick apart a relationship or bash relationship when you really like like, we really like Scott. We're not going to hide that fact. I don't agree with this relationship. I kind of am very turned off by him doing this. But I do really like Scott. He's been a part of our lives for years. We've watched him on TV for the past 15 years. So it would be weird to, like, you know, return to bashing him now. But I just can't get behind anything that he's doing right now. That's what I'm saying. And it's it's a weird situation when you're in that. But I think it's good to just acknowledge that. Like just because you like someone, you don't have to agree with every single thing that they do. And I can't say that I agree with the situation because normally I would say like, if they're happy, they're happy. I just can't help but feel like she's too young. Yeah, she is. I know legally, like, quote, quote, it's not an issue, but it's just, it feels so, I mean, she's seven years older than Mason. Yeah, it's just, it's bizarre to me. I really, I just, I don't even know what else to say about it. It's just bizarre and I'm not down for it. And also like, I don't know, I have so many thoughts on it because Amelia has obviously been in the public eye. She would be anyway, but especially on Beverly Hills. And you've kind of seen that like, I just feel like when you're dating any member of the Kardashian, Disick, Jenner family, the media attention, even for somebody that's already famous, even for somebody that already has famous parents, it takes you into a totally different stratosphere. And I would just hope that like, you know, internally she's ready for that because I don't care who you are, no matter how hot you are. I, I still think it must be really kind of stressful and scary. And especially when like, you kind of have the world rooting against you because most people are for Courtney and Scott, or I, I would say, think a lot of people are. So I just feel like it's a hard spot for her to be in, even if the age difference wasn't so much of a thing. Yeah, exactly. I feel the same way. So yeah, those Miami pictures were something. I don't, I don't really know what to say. Um, Kendall and Devin seem to be going strong, though. I love to see it. You know, it's funny. I think it was Isabel that sent us that article today from. I guess it was months ago or even longer when Source was talking to E saying, like, it's very casual. She has a lot of guys after her. And now they're posting each other for Valentine's Day. She's definitely being more outward about it, which is just so off brand for Kendall. So I think I just like to see it. And I also saw that one of the like Kardashian fan Instagram accounts, I think it was Kardashian videos, had posted Kendall's story of Devin and Chloe had commented with like a bunch of hearts. So I feel like that's like a little bit of familial approval. I love when we get little glimpses of familial approval. Me too, kid. Also, I mean, right now it's 11.25 p.m. Eastern time. So as of this moment, Kim has not posted anything about Kanye, which I know we've kind of all said like, yeah, the divorce is definitely happening. They're definitely broken up, or at least so we thought. But I think everybody was kind of holding their breath, waiting to see if any of these grand gestures were going to be shown. And as of this time, they have not. So that's kind of all the confirmation that I need. You know what's interesting? I wasn't even thinking about it. Really, you clearly have not been on TikTok enough today then, have you? I actually haven't been on TikTok like at all today, which is I'm just realizing. Julie, I went – I'm not kidding. There were probably four videos in my feed in a row of people with a green screen in front of the Kenny G video from I guess last year or two years ago being like, what do you think he's up to this year? Kind of like basically saying what I just said of, you know, let's wait and see. Well, now that you're saying it, like that was always their holiday, but I guess I, I have it so in my head that they're not together that I wasn't thinking about it in the slightest. But that's so interesting that TikTok was. It's happening, guys. I really think I really think this time this next year there Kim and Kanye will no longer be an item, like even remotely. Wow. An end of an era. It really is. I know. I I think it's overall really the best for both of them. When do you think she's gonna make a statement? Because she still has not said a word. I can't even answer that with an inkling of insight because I have genuinely no fucking idea because I feel like this is the one thing the predictability of Kardashians kind of goes out the window because I think it's such a different situation than we've ever seen. Like you can't compare this to any of their other breakups. I think it's completely different. Yeah, I think so too. Crazy. This is not like even a Chris Humphrey situation, you know, like one, because of who Connie is, second of all, because there's kids involved, third of all, the amount of time, like we're just operating in two completely different worlds here. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. 
I'm very curious. I don't know. Um, <laughs> should we just mention the Skims Valentine situation? If we have to. <laughs> I want to say this because I feel like if I was listening to a podcast, I would want to hear this because I felt like I needed to hear it when I was looking at those pictures. I know that it is physically impossible, specifically as a woman, to be on social media and to not compare yourself to every single person that you see. But it's one of those things where I literally had to have a conversation with myself of like, I need to be able to view these pictures and not put it in the context of myself of like the constant comparison because I'm just going, it's going to make me go crazy and it's going to breed toxicity. Like Kim Kardashian should be able to post her campaign without it sending me into a spiral about my body that I normally feel really good about on any given day, you know, but like I would say the majority of us don't look like Kendall Jenner and not that there's anything superior about her, but you see that and it just feels like otherworldly. And so I just want to say, we really are all beautiful and however we come. And clearly there's a lot of shit that goes into how they look and they have beautiful bodies, but as much as you possibly can, you got to try to remove the context of like a comparison and view it more so as just something that you're seeing on your feed and not let it get into your mind. Because if you do, you just send yourself down a real spiral or not everybody, but I think for a lot of us, it's hard not to, or at least that's what I saw. So many TikToks of young girls just being like starving myself for the next week because of this. And that's not something that we are going to do here. If you're listening to this podcast, that is absolutely not something we are going to allow ourselves to get into. It's it's not fair to us. We've come too far to allow one picture to send us into a, a fucking shame spiral for something we have no need to be ashamed of. Exactly. Very well said, Em. <sighs> yeah. I, I feel you guys, though. Don't think uh, I'm above it. I'm just talking. I mean, I'm saying that message out loud because I need to hear it for myself as well. Yeah. Anyway, anything else you want to say? I think that's it, kid. Okay. I also should mention that I, uh, just because you know, guys know I'm like the resident Skims uh, commentator here. I got the the only thing I could get by the time I went on was the boy shorts and like the cropped uh, cami. So when it comes in, I will let you know the feel of it and, and what I think. So it's like the only Kardashian products that I really stand by firmly. Yeah, you do love them. Anything else? No, that's it. Okay. Well, we love you guys so much. We'll see you later this week for Kardashians. And then Isabel and I will see you on Friday for our Bravo episode. Love you guys. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.